You're listening to the Christian Humanist Radio Network, christianhumanist.org. Hi there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, my name is Danny Anderson. I'm an assistant professor of English at Mount Aloysius College in Crescent, Pennsylvania, and I do this uh, little podcast thing on the side. One of the great uh, pleasures of the new year for doing this uh, podcast for me lately is I have put a call out to people who want to kind of share the work that they're doing, and uh, and it's been really uh, fun. The response has been great, and it was really exciting. I've gotten so many people reach out to me and contact me to, to want to come on the show and share what they're doing. And this is another in that series. Today, I'm going to be talking to Adam Ray Adkins, who is an artist who goes by the moniker of Dirt, uh, and uh, and he'll explain all of that in a little bit. But um, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you, Danny. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm thanks. forward to this. Oh, I'm really happy that you reached out. This is uh, kind of my dream come true, is just to get to talk to a variety of interesting people who, who want to be here, kind of, you know, and so uh, that always makes it better. Um, so first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. You live in Florida, but you're from Michigan. You've got kind of an interesting story. And then uh, then we'll get into your art a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I was born in Michigan, in the Detroit area. Um, and then I mo- almost immediately moved around a little bit as a child, uh, went back to Michigan for a little while, and then went to rural Tennessee, uh, about an hour outside of Memphis, uh, when I was 11, went to middle school and high school there, moved to Memphis, uh, city about a year after I graduated and lived in Memphis for a while, but I've also done some traveling, um, up and down the East Coast into Maine. Uh, I spent time with some collectives and tried to go around and go to various co-ops or communes, intentional communities. I've always been interested in that kind of stuff. And when I lived in Memphis, for the most part, I lived and worked with a co-op or a, actually kind of more of a punk house, um, like involved in the DIY scene there and then i moved to florida about five years ago uh a little less than five years and it's been really nice i'm in the tampa bay area okay um that's really great and i think that um i remember in some of the material you sent me um you have something about the diy scene in memphis and so i'm kind of interested in that um do you want to talk a little bit about that period um and how it kind of it seems to have formed a lot of your artistic um style and uh and vision Uh, do you want to talk a little bit about that yeah absolutely so it definitely formed a lot of my style i i feel like i became an artist in the diy scene um we lived in a house that was a three-story house uh the third story was not very functional though it wasn't supposed to be rented out Uh, and we but we put like an art studio up there and a music studio and then i had a for, and then towards the end, I lived in the bathroom that was up there because uh, it had no had no had no uh, plumbing or anything like that. So put a piece of plywood over the tub and put a futon mattress on it. Used the sink as a little uh, key bowl, and it worked pretty well. Uh, right next to the art studio. So, but that was at the end. So the uh, at this house there was anywhere between eight and fourteen people living at the house over the uh, five years or so that it operated. We hosted couch surfers, travelers, people that needed a place to stay, and then, of course, bands. Uh, We had about three shows a month. Um, Concerts would come in, usually two or three bands playing from all over the country, people on tour. We collect donations. It was free. And then during that process, like... Uh, as I was developing as an artist myself, just from going to scribbling around to drawing more and more and more and then painting and experimenting with other mediums, I started live painting 
with bands and that's really made a breakthrough for me it uh i i had only played around with painting before and doing that and it was just because a friend asked me he said hey i'm going on tonight and i'm doing a solo show i'm kind of worried because the other bands are big bands will you go up there with me and just paint and i was like well okay sure and just did complete experimental intuitive painting no plan it turned out really cool and i started doing that more and more so i would meet bands that were coming in paint for hours at a time and then eventually got to do some traveling and almost like a little mini tour paint with bands across the country um but the diy scene in memphis was pretty strong there's a lot of bars in memphis and stuff like that but it's it has a lot of spirit, but it's kind of a depressed city. It's a poor city. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't mean to say anything bad about it in that way, but it it has a depression to it, and there's a lot of bars and stuff like that, and then a lot of house shows started popping up. Uh, a lot of punk spaces, um, places that had like kind of a anarchist ethos to them. Um, a lot of co-ops or communes or something along those lines, even if they didn't weren't directly operating in that way. A lot of experimental art, a lot of noise music, um, and then some pretty heavy involvement in like student activism and stuff around the art college there and even some of the other colleges. Um, so yeah, like all of that was popping off around this time. And this is, uh, let's see, for me, 2009, uh, is the very beginning of it. So especially around Occupy time, this is like completely like my world uh, is painting for people, going to Occupy, going to uh, student like teach-ins and stuff like that. Even though I wasn't in school, I I went to community college very briefly and decided I do not like this. And then it was uh, in rural Tennessee too. And I was like, this is not right. This is not what school should be. And so I just started doing other stuff. Um, but then, you know, I, I felt like I got to learn a lot during that period, uh, different professors doing teach-ins or workshops and then, uh, yeah, through traveling as well. Yeah, that's cool. I want to kind of uh, hit on a couple of points. First of all, Memphis. Um, so I'm, I'm a fan of the musician uh, Justin Towns Earl, and I've seen him a couple of times. And he's talked a lot about Memphis as always being a place where he would go to get into trouble. Uh, he apparently had a very wild background, practically criminal. And uh, and so he uh, would uh, – <clears throat> part of his maturing was avoiding Memphis, basically, <laughs> according to some of the stories <laughs> he's told on, on stage. So I've always had this impression that it is kind of a, a – a bit of a sort of a struggling sort of city um, in which creative, productive things happen. And it's really interesting. I live right down the road from Johnstown and uh, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, which is a similar kind of city. And it's really interesting um, to note that there's a similar kind of scene in Johnstown. Um, now, this the one that I'm aware of is kind of a, a, a Christian version of this. There's like a punky Christian DIY scene there. And I'm they have a, a Flood City Fest, they call it. Johnstown Flood um, inspires a lot of the nom- names that Johnstown gives its events. So the Flood City event, uh, the Flood City Fest is coming up. And you'll see lots of like hardcore musicians, um, slam poets. I interviewed one of them on this show before, Chris Bernstorff. And, uh, and so it's interesting to me that really kind of creative and um, non-commercially driven art um, arises out of this kind of... Uh, like economic and, and, and sort of social blight a little bit. And so I think that that's kind of a beautiful thing and there's something really, really redemptive about it. And I think it's kind of cool. And you mentioned Occupy and I want to kind of hold off on that because I know that politics is a big deal for you. So I want to definitely get back into um, your sort of uh, more radical politics. And, and I think that the way that you sort of engage with um, your great engage, your art with those um, is interesting. And um, one third last thing about what we just talked about is no one, this is an audio podcast, so you can't see what I'm seeing, but behind um, Adam is uh, a, a piece that you did last night, uh, a live performed piece like with a, with a band, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So with the live pieces, I had, I stopped doing it as much uh, for the last few years, but I've been doing a project with Billy Mays, the third, 
He has a musical project, Infinite Third. He makes, uh, I would say, like, soundscape, trip-hop, ambient drone-ish music. Uh, his CDs have written material, but his live performances are almost always improv or intuitive. And so we've been doing a series. Last night was our second one. Three-hour installations where we're both doing intuitive art on the spot, kind of feeling out the room and just going off of each other and trying to enter a flow. Um, and that's been really fun. I really enjoy that part of art. That's a lot. Almost all of my art is heavily based in play and expression, especially the physical art. I've uh, The last year or so, I've been doing digital stuff and that's not quite the same, but it is very fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I really like that. I like the, um, the feeling of, of painting like that and not thinking it the the space it creates is just i don't know it's why i paint basically yeah no it's really cool and it's exciting um let me step back one second this podcast has become a very strange kind of meeting place for a lot of divergent interests <laughs> so i have a lot of like religious um, listeners who come for very kind of you know, I maybe fundamentalist um, evangelical backgrounds. Um, most of them aren't are kind of suspicious of that, but um, but I also have a lot of sort of left leaning uh, or leftist uh, listeners who uh, the politics tend to go there. And so this is an interesting intersection between <laughs> those two worlds for me. Is because when I was a kid, there was this uh, this scene where you would have these kind of roving preachers who would go from church to church, and they were sort of like evangelists, I guess. They were just sort of temporarily itinerant and. And they would show up and preach a sermon while painting some sort of landscape. And that was a thing when I was growing up. And I remember my family actually bought one of uh, one of his pieces uh, at the end. And and so I, I've, the, the idea of just sort of producing something live in the company of other people where it is their presence in the room actually inspires some of the uh, of the work itself. I think it's just a really interesting um, style. And I, I just wanted to – that – story made me reminisce a little bit about a similar thing in evangelical culture. Um, that's really cool. I've never heard of that. Yeah. It, I, I don't, think that's neat. I don't see it anymore, but when I was a kid, I mean, it was the seventies, I guess so things were weird back then. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, I do, I haven't done this in a while, but uh, I used to try to set up at markets and do this. I think that was the wrong venue for it. But I did this process called mind picking where I would sit down with someone for 10 minutes and they would talk to me um, and, and they could talk to me about whatever they want, really. But usually they start just kind of bringing up things that are bugging them because that's how <laughs> people work when they're in that kind of situation. You're the bartender. Um, and yeah, and I just automatically draw like completely, you know, just start drawing shapes and lines and letting it go and listening to them and uh, giving them that as a product at the end. And it works or I hope it works as some kind of like uh, way that they can project that on there maybe see something in it of course it's kind of rorschachy but uh yeah. i don't know I, I felt like a lot of people that i had done that with were like oh whoa this relates to this and this and this and of course they're kind of projecting it there but that's a beauty of abstract art yeah yeah um and it's great and I, that's a great um segue into just describing about your style uh talking a little bit about your style as an artist um you've sent me a whole lot of stuff you work across a lot of media um you write poetry um which you're free to read on, on the air if you'd like to, if there's anything you wanted to share um there's a a, a song that you've uh, composed here and, and apparently you paint too and uh and a lot of sort of mixed media work but can you want know to talk a little bit about your style and your approach to art? Yeah. So, yeah, I do. I feel like the creative act is pretty fun in and of itself. So I try not to limit myself. I do find most of my expression going towards visual art. Um, my favorite of that being, or maybe the most fun, is painting and mixed media. So they're all mixed painting and then often drawings clips of cut up books, magazines, other pictures, my own poetry. Um, but all of it started really, I, I doodled as a kid. My earliest art memories were drawing monsters. Um, like we would, uh, like we used to read, my family, we would read Goosebumps and stuff like that at the kitchen table. Another way in which you're perfect for this show. I love horror. So this is great. Yeah, keep going. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was just like, that's, 
that was my earliest art memory really is sitting there and making these monsters and creatures and like superheroes and stuff. Um, but I, I never really considered myself an artist as a child or even in the high school. I, I doodled on my papers and stuff. I can see it now. Instead of taking notes in math class, I was doodling <laughs> and just drawing circles and circles and circles. Um, but yeah, I just started uh, drawing a little bit more and didn't think much of it. Threw, threw together some collages and um, a friend that was in art school complimented it and was like, wow, this is really nice. Um, you should think of doing this more. So I started trying to paint a little bit more, but it never really hit until that automatic stuff uh, with music. And now I can paint on my own. But then in like, um, I would say about 2010 or so, I got hit with what I call hypographia. Um, and for about a year and a half, maybe two years, I drew multiple times every single day usually pretty uh automatic style just like going for it playing with lines and compositions sometimes i would go to the park and sketch people but i mean i filled up like a sketchbook a month i was drawing constantly and it seemed to just flow and flow and flow out of me so that's where i really start as an artist is going and experimenting and playing with it and trying not to have too much of a concept and allowing a concept to emerge uh, where the creation of the end product is kind of partially its own subject at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, and then incorporating, of course, poetry or cut-up uh, collage work allows for to kind of grab other meanings and bring them into the world uh, and kind of reflect the world. That's what I, I'm always like trying to bring up questions or make a, make your mind think, make it look like things that don't connect uh, are connecting or things that should connect don't seem to, uh, and kind of push that and like play with perception. Um, yeah. Oh, okay. So, and then, and then I've been doing digital work for the last year or so, and that's really only because I got an Instagram account. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and yeah, so, I, incidentally on that note, I'm going to put as many links as I can to share Adam's work with you, but the Instagram account is really worth subscribing to. I, I don't spend a lot of time on Instagram, but I did spend a lot of time looking at your stuff. And, and so now it's really, really cool. So talk a little bit about your digital work. Thank you. Um, so yeah, I, I had been posting drawings and paintings and stuff on Facebook for years. And it's so hard to get traction, uh, or it was for me. I would post something and it would take a month to get four likes. Even, you know, you can see how many people see it and stuff, but it, it just never got traction. So I kept being told to get an Instagram account and I thought it didn't make any difference. And I really don't like having so much social media. I find it a distraction. I get lost in it. It like pulls me into it and I can't help it. Um, so anyways, but I eventually, I was like, kind of felt like I was giving in and got an Instagram account and almost immediately started getting lots of attraction to art and attention to it. So it really was inspiring. And I realized quickly that I had to produce more content because yeah. I really... I really wanted to be posting every day. A lot of the times, especially in the first six months or so, I was posting two, three times a day. Uh, and I just kept wanting to share art. And I looked for a digital app, um, like a digital art manipulation app to play with some glitchy stuff or color manipulation. And so I started doing that. And it's been really fun. I never thought I would do digital art because I like the touch of the physical so much and like the way you can express yourself. But I, use, I, I sample my own physical work in the digital art most of the time. I'm taking close up pictures of my paint strokes and uh, washing them over someone else's face, you know, to make a portrait uh, or kind of like taking two different artworks of mine and blending them together and just kind of 
making more and more variations and difference in these pieces to kind of add because i think then like if you're looking at the digital pieces that you see and then you see the painting in which a lot of those digital pieces came from it adds this whole hidden world of meaning that can be brought there even though they all stand together on their own uh, so i do enjoy the digital it is fun to play with repetition and just slightly changed things and they're really beautiful. I mean, and 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 folks can will at the end we'll talk about some places that they can find your your work, and there'll be links on the show notes if you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com. dot uh, com. You can find the links to the show notes um, uh, here, and then uh, there's was it Redbubble? I'm sorry, I, is that the name of Redbubble? Yeah, yeah, and you that's and, uh that's the one I use. I, I know there's a lot of them out there. It's like a one off printing site that uh, artists can use. So. They can publish T-shirts and journals, stickers, etc. Yeah, there were some really cool things that I was definitely gonna. I'm actually gonna buy some. I'm <laughs> just not to not to flatter you. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, they're they're like, pretty good quality. I have to say, I, uh, I I was surprised. My wife owns a couple of the dresses, and they're she always gets compliments on them. Yeah, yeah, it's really neat. And uh, and so I just wanted to kind of uh, point forward that. But if I can like one kind of common theme I see so far in talking to you about your work is this idea of communion. I think that one reason that the the idea that uh, I mean, you, you begin in this kind of communal lifestyle, like in uh, in houses like that. Right. And in and, and Memphis. And I see in the, the live work that you do. There's this uh, connection with an audience that is an important part of the work itself. And now the pursuance of this digital work, I see uh, you're kind of pursuing that because of the interactivity that you're getting uh, from that particular platform. Um, so Instagram itself, because it, it, it created an audience that was interested in you produced art for you <laughs> in some ways. And so in some ways, I think it's a, a, a common theme I, I see in your work and in, and it comes out of maybe some of your life here a little bit. And I think that that's kind of, I think that's kind of awesome. So, um, yeah. Wow. I, I would have, I hadn't thought of phrasing it quite like that. Um, and making that connection. I, I definitely see that. That's interesting. Hmm. Um, well. yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm an only child. Um, I, and I like being an only child. I didn't, you know, I was never really wanted a brother or sister that much <laughs> growing up. I never thought about it, but yeah, in my adult life, I have never lived alone. Um, I've lived in community houses. I've lived with partners. Uh, I've traveled or lived with my parents. Um, yeah. yeah and that, that's pretty much been it. Uh, I do. I really like community and people and even though I do consider myself uh, an introvert most of the time, you know, I like being alone and quiet. On Fridays, I spend usually almost my whole day alone um, and that's a really nice time for me. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, the community aspect's super important. Yeah, I, I have a very similar story. It's kind of eerie. I also am an only child, and uh, but yes, but I also would consider myself an introvert who likes to socialize with people. Fridays, I happen to not teach on Fridays, and so Fridays is my day to sort of kind of just be alone uh, and and work in my office and that sort of thing. And so yeah, it's kind, <laughs> oh, wow. of, kind of weirdly eerie here. So, um, <laughs> but uh, but I also wanted to uh, let's kind of move then a little bit into the political if we can, um, because I think. You, you're kind of you're very clearly uh, oriented leftist <laughs> politics, right? And so uh, you talked about Occupy, for example, as being very kind of formational for you. Um, and that, you know, is not surprising then that you're someone who values community, right? Um, and so solidarity, they might say, in the political sphere. Um, it went, before we get into there, and I before we started recording, I brought up Andy Warhol. And I, I think... He might be a good way to start talking about politics. Um, just bear with me for a, little, a second here. Uh, for those of you listening, I'm teaching a class. Uh, I've taught a couple times now here on the art and literature of Pittsburgh. And this week, we just happened to be talking about Andy Warhol. It showed up on the syllabus right after that Super Bowl ad where they show him eating a Burger King hamburger. Um, and, and so it was kind of perfect timing. And so I was explaining to my class 
that there's something uh, in, we're reading his autobiography called the philosophy of Andy Warhol. And it's uh, there's a, a passage in there about aura uh, and what it sort of means to have an aura as an artist. And, and he was sort of puzzling over that. And so I took the opportunity to talk about Walter Benjamin and uh, the work of art in the age of mechanical reproduction and how these new technologies for Benjamin provide ways of democratizing art. And so it loses its kind of sacred religious um, pilgrimage, pilgrimage type quality, um, and it becomes something that everybody can own and, and produce. And 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 I feel like in some ways Andy Warhol's work does that as well. I mean, he's very he loves pop culture because whoever's drinking a Coke um, is the, got the same Coke that the rich person has, right? The rich person doesn't have any advantage uh, in a world in which we're all just using and, and consuming disposable goods, right? And so he thinks there's something democratic about that. And I was standing up in front of my class befuddled <laughs> because I couldn't quite tell them why this didn't sit right with me. I feel like on some level he's working in the same from the same observations as Walter Benjamin, but he's going somewhere else with it. And so you have mixed feelings about Andy Warhol, too, and you are an actual artist. So I was hoping you might give me something to tell my class. <laughs> what, are, what are your thoughts on these issues? Yeah, I, I do have mixed feelings on Andy Warhol. They're mostly negative, <laughs> but so to go off what you just said, I think the problem is Andy Warhol think, sees that they both drink the same Coke, but he doesn't realize that one of them also has access to clean water mm. and one of them doesn't. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> so yes. really, I kind of had a gut reaction of not liking Andy Warhol when I was younger um, and never really had a reason why I just, it was just one of those things. I was like, Oh, Andy Warhol's dumb, whatever, um, <laughs> you know, like a, a stupid stance you take. And then I went to the Andy Warhol museum, which is in Pittsburgh, it I is. think. Um, yeah. And it was, it was nice. I, I like Pittsburgh a lot. It was a fun city. Uh, that was in like, 2012 so i went to the andy warhol museum and although i didn't like most of it i did find some of it really interesting and really moving and i couldn't deny this effect that it was having on me um so i went through the whole museum once and then went back and they were giving a curated tour and as the guy was talking about it towards the end and he was explaining what Andy Warhol meant to him is when it struck me. And he was talked about how after Warhol, you could go into your kitchen and open up the cupboards and it was just as good as going to an art museum because he had shown that this is just as good. And I don't know, I just got this sickening feeling in me. Mm. Like to think that, I don't know, to think that a Brillo box is just as good as a great work of art, I found insulting. Um, it completely misses what made, to me, what makes art art. It was, it's just design. And it might have thought to it, but it lacks a certain transcendental dimension that art carries with it. And it's like soulless art to me. Uh, although some of it really can touch you and that's the disturbing part because it's like that creeping of design into the art world. Uh, I find it very, very disturbing. It's, it is hard to talk about in um, a lot of ways because some of it is, is really cool to see. And you can, I definitely understand the artistic value of some of it in it, especially in art history and how it plays in culture. Um, it's almost as if for what Andy Warhol means to me with art, and this goes with a lot of um, people like uh, Pierre Manzoni who canned his own feces as an art project. And when it sold, it sold for its own weight in gold. Um, you know, very, yeah. And then reproduce that, not even using um, feces anymore and it's still sold and stuff like that. It's to me, what that art speaks to and what it means is 
the only way I can save it and appreciate it is a rejection of the art establishment and the art world and that hierarchy of uh, the very specialized artist. Um, again, just the critique of that. But if I take that to be true, I can't praise it too much. Yeah. You know, it's like, and anyone who buys it, the people that own those, you know, those cans of feces or the Warhol reproductions and stuff, I feel like on a fundamental level, don't get it because they're paying into the art world and what it's critiquing itself. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's kind of like people buying Banksy's. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is ridiculous. Yeah. The, yeah, it's like the idea of democratizing art is great, but not when you make it valueless, right? So, so the fact that I can own some right. valueless thing, like a rich person owns a valueless thing, that's not any more meaningful to me, right? That, that that's uh, somewhat depressing. And the fact <laughs> I think I think that there's a um, um, uh, sort of maybe a critical, like a, a critique um, issue here, in that he just, I mean, yeah. So we can drink the same cokes, but the Coca Cola company is still exploiting the the labor and resources. <laughs> that doesn't that doesn't get into actually revolutionary change right and so um and so he's sort of just almost um profiting off of the system i mean not sort of he like literally is and so um yeah to me there's something in which while he kind of has the same kind of democratic ideal his sort of um just embrace of consumerism actually i think undermines his democratic ideals i think there's a weird paradox there yeah, it's a democracy with no people, yeah. like with no humans. <laughs> That's a really good way um, so to put it. Yes. What's the point? <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. And so I bring this up because I mean I think just in our pre pre game conversation that we had here, it was a really interesting uh, uh, opportunity for me to I think transition into politics. And so um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of uh, your your sort of political work. I noticed, for example, a lot of like Mark Fisher images. Um, we did. I did an episode with Derek Farn about his um, great essay, um, very controversial essay, um, um, Exiting the Vampire Castle. Still, I think, our most downloaded episode of all time. Um, every month it gets <laughs> a new wow. a, a new uh, notice. But um, And so this is a, uh, a, a, fi a key figure in leftist circles. And I saw images of like Doug Lane from the Zero Books podcast. So uh, what is it that attracts you um, to kind of leftist politics to the degree that you incorporate it into the subject matter of your art? Yeah, well, well, so like I kind of hinted at earlier, for me, a lot of my art is working out feelings of questions I have about the world. Uh, since I was a young kid, I just felt like something wasn't right. And that distinct feeling over time, I've, you know, I investigated or read about, looked at, talked with many different things and the closest thing i can that i had come this far to addressing a lot of those issues uh seems to be a left language so but i was i was obviously influenced as a kid listening to like punk music and heavy metal and stuff like that you know uh rage my soccer coach had a rage against the machine shirt when <laughs> i was in like fourth grade and i was like Rage Against the Machine, that sounds cool. <laughs> and, you know, eventually found it and was like, whoa. Um, but in some ways, it, it, it must have always been there because the first CD I bought was uh, Tub Thumping by Chumbawamba. Oh, the, and, uh, I love Chumbawamba. Yeah. I totally Me, forget about them. <laughs> and they're I, so awesome. I really, really <laughs> think Chumbawamba is an underrated band. That CD is actually not that great, but they have some really good music. They're album a b c d e f g yeah i listen to that at least once a month yeah uh, it's so beautiful which one has give uh, the anarchist a cigarette that that album is awesome i love that ooh, album. i can't that remember. is great i think that's anarchy yeah, okay yeah that yeah i yeah. love yeah oh little it's recommendation very... for our listener out there go dig up some <laughs> they're more than just tub dumping or th excuse me <laughs> tub thumping <laughs> that's yeah. the song everyone knows in america they're actually very huge in europe um as a very overtly anarchist uh, leftist band and so um yeah it's and there's yeah there's sound goes in every direction <laughs> weird folk like cute folk music and all the way to yeah it's very strange yeah um wow you got me on a nice little uh, uh tangent there but talk more about yeah. your influences then <laughs> great so so yeah um 
so yeah, the, as I as I've been trying to make sense of stuff in the world, um, you know, I was exposed to that like somewhat vague leftist thought through music and culture and stuff, and then I started reading like Noam Chomsky in high school, and I remember actually the a band I really liked called the Weaker Thans, um, a Canadian band. They have a song called uh, Our Retired Explorer Dines with Michel Foucault in Paris, 1961. And I remember being in high school thinking that that was a really weird title and <laughs> buying a Foucault book and trying to read it and not understanding a damn thing. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the archaeology of knowledge. Yeah. It was um, and did not get it. But I, I later liked the book. Uh so as those things, yeah, as I was reading stuff in life and just trying to understand what was going on in the world, working uh, a lot of food industry jobs. Right now I work in a grocery store, um, but most of my jobs have been in like restaurants, cooking, uh, doing dishes, serving, mm, stuff like that, or not really working a wage job living places, doing volunteer work uh, on farms or co-ops and stuff like that, and just trying to read a lot. Uh, so as I, yeah, as I read stuff, I just started incorporating it into my art because it made the most sense to me. It's the stuff bouncing around my head. So as I'm doing these abstract things, these thoughts pop in and I'm trying to work them out. And I figure if I throw them in here, maybe I, uh, something new will pop out to me in a way, like a, a non-linguistic working out of philosophical or political questions, problems I've been having. Um, Mark Fisher, I read Capitalist Realism. I just bought it at the bookstore because I thought it looked interesting in, I think in like 2009 or 2010. It was shortly after it had come out and it blew me away. I It just hit a lot of the feelings that I was experiencing at the time. Um, and kind of was one of the early things to make me move a little bit away from more vague leftism or anarchism, like uh, that that kind of reading of things into a more Marxist uh, understanding. Uh, so shortly after that, I went to the Beehive Design Collective. They're a anarchist art collective up in maine they do illustrations and poster work they're really cool work um and they do like teach-ins based on their posters they can break them down and like they tell all these different stories they travel colleges and co-ops and all sorts of different things they're they're a really cool organization they used to i don't know if they still do it they used to do these summer work parties where Basically, if you showed up and you were willing to work um, and they would ask you for a donation if you could, but you didn't have to, they, no one was turned away, they, you would camp on their grounds. Uh, they lived in an old mansion in rural Maine in uh, this like really, really small, cute town. And yeah, we worked on projects around the city and stuff like that. And so they were a very anarchist-based thing, and I met a lot of people there and read a lot during that time period. But I grabbed a book on my way to that, and that changed a lot for me too. It was Interrogating the Real by Slavoj Žižek. Mm -hmm. And it's like a, a collection book, like um, little essays or excerpts from books. And that really threw me for a loop as well. Uh, even though Mark Fisher mentions Zizek, I think, in Capitalist Realism. And so I was, but I didn't, I didn't know who he was. I just bought the book because it looked like it would be a fun read. I was like, I want to read some philosophy while I'm doing this work program thing. Uh, and that, that was the book. And then, so those combinations of things, yeah, kind of pushed me in that direction i really identified with a lot of the stuff in them and then i avidly read a lot of zizek after that um, um like i just started like going through his canon and then reading other other stuff a lot of like those verso books and uh some zero books and stuff like that and then later discovered the zero podcast which 
I'm a pretty big fan of and uh, the Symptomatic Red Redness podcast, which uh, C. Derek Varn does. That you yeah. you have him on here a lot. Yeah, Varn's a, um, he's a good friend of the show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think his episodes on here are some of his best material too. I I, I really the grievance study episode and all the keywords. Um, yeah, those are wonderful. Ah, uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I and so yeah, here. I don't know. It just appeals to me. It seems to speak to something on a different level than a lot of other things but i am i don't know i'm i i don't consider myself an expert on anything i don't i read a lot of philosophy and i read a lot of political stuff and things like that but i kind of throw it together honestly um and see what fits i don't i don't have myself i don't think a defined politics really um it changes all the time. I find myself, my opinions always changing, but some kind of leftism that sees the problem being uh, systemic um, yeah. is has probably been the yeah a strong factor in my beliefs, even if even if they shift around that. And the art kind of helps me move through it sometimes. Yeah, um, as opposed to sort of you know kind of centrist liberalism, which sees things as kind of moral individual failings um like yeah the leftist critique looks beyond that to the systems right and so um and clearly i mean the occupy you came of age at the right time i mean occupy was, yeah. it was probably like a a, a culminating you know in, in what's the word i'm looking for uh form formulating kind of moment for you yeah absolutely um i mean yeah, I, I graduated high school in 2006 when I was 17 years old. So, yeah, shortly afterwards, we got the economy crashed. And, yeah, that's – and like I said, I, I didn't go to much college. So I was in the job market working minimum wage jobs during all that. And so that's what I experienced. And that's, uh, that's my picture of American city life. And it's, you know – Every single person I knew was poor, was in debt. The ones that went to school were in debt. Yeah. The ones that didn't go to school were in debt. And it was, yeah. So for me, it's like, I don't, I don't know. The politics are just there. They're, um, they have to, you have to have some kind of politics in that kind of situation or you're in a complete mode of defeat. Uh, or like how Mark Fisher talks about, you can, there's, there's pleasures everywhere. We almost have like my generation, you know, I remember when the internet took over. I remember when smartphones were there. I, they weren't there too much when I was young. Um, but seeing all that, yeah, we have pleasure everywhere. We could get anything we wanted, um, but none of it really satisfied or addressed our needs. Um, they didn't change anything. So it was like, that's just, yeah, that's just how life had to be. You had to think about that stuff or you would, to me, the only other option was enter some kind of severe depression, which or, or be or, or be Andy Warhol, um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, yeah, or sell out, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's a silly way of looking at it. Sell out, but yeah, I wouldn't want to do that either. But you know, the other option also is uh, like paranoia. Yes. So, and I saw a lot of that too. Yeah. Um, so we had, you know, you mentioned there was a Christian component to the DIY scene yeah. up by you. There, there was a pretty strong spiritual component in the Memphis DIY scene. Um, like the different, you know, for lack of a better word, cliques had their own different things. Um, but there was a pretty strong Christian and like new Christian kind of feeling there too. We had a very progressive church in the Midtown Memphis, the first congregational church. It's where the uh, Food Not Bombs was run out of. I lived at a hostel for a little less than a year there. Um, they operated upstairs. It was, yeah. So, and so that, that vibe is definitely in the city, but there's, there was also a lot of the uh, more paranoid conspiracy culture, which slowly, especially after Occupy started becoming more and more right wing yeah. um, and kind of entering those scary, like anti-Semitic uh, rabbit holes and yeah. stuff. And I, I saw a lot of that and I was like, this, you know, at, at first, I was a lot more sympathetic to that um, that kind of stuff. And as, as Occupy went on and as uh, Occupy ended and stuff, we saw a lot of that firsthand, the 
vague anti-establishment feelings morph into paranoid thoughts um, and anti-Semitic thoughts and like all the conspiracy theories and stuff is very strange. Um, And it pushed me in the opposite direction. Well, that's good. Varn actually talks (laughs) about this sometimes about how at that moment there are these kind of uh, there's a fork in the road for some people and, and he's seen people go from one end of the political spectrum to the other. Um, yeah. He's in several podcasts. I don't know if it's been on my show or not, um, but he's all over the, the internet on podcasts. I don't remember what show it was on, but, uh, but yeah, so the, he's talked about that moment as being kind of defining and for a lot of different political movements or the, a lot of the roots trace back to that. Um, even though they we end up on opposite ends of political spectrum. So, yeah, it's strange, yeah. <laughs> but um, it makes sense too. It, yeah, it does. And, and one interesting thing um, you'd mentioned kind of earlier, well, before I get to that, um, so a lot of people have, you know, there's a lot of long-term debates. This is probably a boring debate at some point, but like the whole art for art's sake versus um, political art. And so you seem to just kind of almost pretend that <laughs> It's like politics is such a natural part of the world. It's it's almost like you're not even consciously doing political art. You're just sort of embracing the world as it is, and it just happens to be political. And you don't deny that. Is that am I misreading you or? You yeah you know I don't know if that was conscious or like a retreat almost, but yeah yeah I kind of do that. Um, I I briefly flirted with political art um or what i would call straight up political art kind of in the early occupy times um when i went to like a lot of protests and stuff like that making signs and trying to do that stuff but i don't know i that's not yeah that wasn't i didn't it didn't seem effective to me it didn't seem um the same i would rather speak a little bit deeper and have it also speak to politics uh in a broader sense so like yeah i try to market myself also to like people that like psychedelic art um or just abstract expressionism and whatnot yeah i so yeah sometimes i do think maybe i incorporate too much politics into my art for being just a general artist i i don't want to be seen as just a political artist um but yeah, it is there, and I don't, I don't know what else to do about it. I don't want to ignore it. It's, yeah, you know. Well, but I mean, like, like, go ahead, <laughs> go ahead. Oh no, I don't know. I was just gonna say it's it's like not taking everything into account. Um, it just doesn't. It seems kind of fake. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and honestly, you don't even have to know who Mark Fisher is to appreciate the kind of abstract psychedelica uh, psychedelia of your of your image of him right and so i think um it's it's political art but it's it's one i I don't know how to describe it but it's one that is not um didactic right and i guess that's where i'm getting at you're not you don't have like a moral lesson you're trying to teach politics is just a natural part of the landscape and and yeah yeah absolutely yeah i i never or i feel like i very rarely try to teach a moral lesson yeah. with my art you know that seems just kind of pretentious to do that um yeah. but yeah and you know i'll i put i often put quotes with like if i do a portrait of mark fisher or theodore adorno or something like that i'll put a quote that maybe isn't so obviously directly political um there and if people like it because they like the photo maybe they read that and they're interested in that and then get a different perspective um i find that it's like more subtle to me um it's kind of my problem with like the way we talk about memes and memetics and whatnot like there's they since internet memes have become so popular it really dilutes our thinking uh I think I was in a discussion the other day in a chat room with people about what makes a good meme. And they were trying to break it down to these very design elements of what memes are and how to get across a point. And it was like, I don't know, it just seems so dry to me and so consumed by capitalist logic and rational and like instrumental rationality. I, I want to all arts memes in a way, but like, I, I guess that's where I go more for what's called fine art or whatever, even though that cultural distinction is kind of silly is I, I would rather my 
art not hit you right away, but kind of ferment in your mind and like sit there and allow for a different type of space and thinking to open up rather than just, here's what you believe. Here's this, here's this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah. Um, and so let me back up to the beginning of the podcast. You're talking about the the kind of um, live painting. And the, the, one of the things that's attractive to you about that is that you're just sort of you're reaching into some sort of subconscious state. Right. And bringing art into the world from there. Which leads me into Jordan Peterson. Okay. And so, <laughs> yeah, and so, absolutely. And so, um, recently, uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I, I interviewed um, Patrick Higgins about Faust, and, and we were talking a little bit um, after the show. And he had been to this Jordan Peter- Peterson conference in, where was that? Idaho? Where was Idaho? Where was Boise, that? Idaho. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and he met you there. And I said, oh my gosh, I, I'm interviewing him in a couple of weeks. And so it was a small story. And then you sent me some material. You actually presented at that conference. Um, and you're actually reacting to Jordan Peter your your project as you describe it here, um, and it, it was a live performance. So what I'm getting is sort of the abstract that you sent um, to get into right. the conference, basically. Um, but it was um, interesting. Like you want to take him seriously on some level. He is like speaking to some actual. Um, productive role for art right and you think leftists can kind of learn from that a little bit um can i it's okay if i play a little bit of the song that you composed um that you then i think drew to is that or you painted to is that is that how that works yeah all right yeah i would i would love that yeah so i i composed this song which is a clip um i sampled some music and distorted it did stuff to it and then sampled jordan peterson and a number of other thinkers that kind of oppose him um but yeah, not in a little more subtle of a way, because yeah, there are some serious, some good points to what he says and some stuff. He definitely addresses a lot of real concerns and anxieties. Yeah. And I think like in an audit, I mean, this is an audio medium that we're talking in. And so this sort of captures on some level, the, the aesthetic of your paintings, the, the way that this, this is almost like, you know, mixed media in, in an audio form. And so this I mean, give the, the listener at least some glimpse of what you what you what you look like so here we go the leaky ship the leaky ship the leaky ship the leaky ship well the artists articulate the the artists are the people who first articulate the unknown and so the role of artists in a healthy culture is to bring to public awareness elements of being that have not yet entered the collective consciousness so you can imagine imagine that we're all living on an island and many of us are in the center of the island far enough away so maybe we can't even see the shoreline and we can't see the ocean that's, that's where our borders end but we're distant from the artists are right on the edge and they're 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 expanding the landscape they're 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 moving the culture forward yeah, and so as I'm, uh, you know, listening, and that's 13 minutes plus long, and so we won't play the whole thing. But um, um, I can't disagree with his role, his interpretation of what the artist does there. That's almost the artist as prophet, and I'm very sort of attracted to that idea. Um, and so, but this was um, the setting, the the soundscape for a visual work that you worked on, um, in while that's playing. Um, and so, and then, so do you want to talk a little bit about? what you're doing with Jordan Peterson? Because I think it's very interesting, actually. He's easy to make fun of um, and not understand why people, why some people take him seriously. And you seem to want to understand why some people take him seriously. And I think it's really interesting. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I have a very hard time disagreeing with him in those clips that I used. And that's, that's exactly why I use them. Um, now, most of the time, I do like making fun of them. Yeah, <laughs> I can't well, lie. Who doesn't? Fun. <laughs> no. Yeah. The internet um, wouldn't exist I, otherwise. I disagree with him on so much stuff. Um, but every once in a while, he has some good nuggets in there. And But I think that's a really – that one captures something because I think that speaks in a, in the expanded what el- all the other stuff he says in there really speaks to that alienation that he's getting at. But it strikes me – ridiculous that he says you know that 
the role of artist is to push the boundaries, to imagine the new. Um, at the end of the song, he even says to create new hierarchies of dominance. <laughs> Yet, has this weird paranoid theory about cultural Marxism. Yeah. Um, doing exactly like it will, to take these on like their strong terms, whatever cultural Marxism would be, would be like using art or culture to push the society in some direction, which is exactly what he says art does. Um, <laughs> I was like, well, oh, I don't understand it, you know? Uh, so I, I even quote him saying in that, like something about how the postmodern neo-Marxists have or want to destroy all distinction, which is again, a silly quote. So I, I throw in a lot of Rick Roderick, the Texan um, philosopher who has great uh, lecture series on YouTube. Uh, I threw in him kind of going back and forth with Peterson. That was my initial idea was, uh, them going back and forth. I was listening to Roderick while painting. So a lot of times when I'm at home on Fridays, I paint or I work on other art stuff. When I paint, I usually put on instrumental music on my speakers uh, in the house. And then on my laptop, I play philosophy lectures or something like that. So I was listening to some like chill mix or something that whatever Spotify has like trip hop or vaporwave mix and was listening to the Rick Roderick lectures. And he said that deconstruction under the, or philosophy under the heading of deconstruction was housework. It was doing the dishes. You do it. And then every day you have to do it again. And I thought that that was just so funny. Um, he's like saying this postmodern idea is like housework where, <laughs> Peterson, who rails against postmodernism, tells people to clean their house. <laughs> um, and so I just thought that was a funny juxtaposition um, because it it could go together. Um, he could have some more interesting insights. Uh, like Patrick, I, I, I really like that episode. You talked to Patrick. I know he really likes um, James Hillman and his talk of how you're embedded in a society and how like the archetypes there's different ways of looking at those archetype theories than, than Peterson uh, presents. And a lot of them are a lot more interesting, um, but he does touch on a lot of things and I didn't want to just make fun of them. I wanted that song, cause I'm gonna eventually make a music video for it and release it um, up. And I want it to be enjoyable by a Peterson fan. Um, I mean, almost the first two minutes of it or so are Peterson talking. Mm -hmm. The other voices don't come in until he's really laid down his foundation uh, for what he believes. And yeah, I just think that, yeah, that, that can speak to someone a lot more. Um, although it's fun to argue on the internet and post in meme groups and, you know, make fun of Lobster Man. Uh, if we really want to have discussion or anything like that, you got to you got to reach on a different ground. And I think that's a better way of creating a conversation. And I just tried to illustrate the better parts of Peterson, but how they still go wrong. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. Um, and can I read from the abstract? Um, I will present a fractured performance, part investigation, part critique, and part manifesto. I will argue a need for the left to realize Peterson's, quote, role of the artist. This will be an invitation to participate in, in redefine the meaning of cultural Marxism and tease the metaphysical in order to change the world that we live in. Um, and so what did you mean by that? So what can the left, I suppose, pick up and improve upon what um, Peterson is uh, right about before and not make the mistakes that he leads him to where he's wrong. Uh, yeah. So, so specifically right in this instance, um, I, I, I follow, I think this is a natural line from Mark Fisher um, to get, to get beyond capitalist realism um, is to start, the utopian thought. Um, and, you know, Frederick Jameson wrote his weird book about drafting everyone into the military. 
Um, but I love that book. I don't want to be drafted in the military. I started as a, you know, in high school in the Iraq war and stuff and always had very like anti-war, even pacifist leanings. Um, I was interested in like all of that movement in the past, but I thought it was such an interesting book. Um, and maybe we could do better and to kind of call for artists to break, break away from that. And just, and I think it's already starting to happen really, but to not engage in pessimism, uh, so much in that way. Uh, and yeah, to, to start imagining different utopias. Um, if you can't imagine a different utopia, I don't know. Um, maybe, I don't know. I, I don't, I just, I don't want to go with that same terrible vision of the future that seems so pervasive. Um, that's, that's another problem with the, with cities. Like we talked about these cities that have these hard economic problems and whatnot and how it can foster this great, uh, DIY attitude of non-commercialism, but it can also foster like this sense of irony where people embrace like they they might put it as they're embracing the grit of their city yeah they're basically giving up and yeah they're like well this is awful and yeah we're gonna take pride in awfulness yeah. um, um you know and yeah that that pessimism that really pervaded for such a long time peterson's calling for us you know he's saying artists imagine new dominance hierarchies so imagine like let's imagine worlds in which the value form um, and doesn't dominate our lives in which we don't have to sell our ability to labor to someone else to be able to live and have a community and where we can free associate and have different forms of freedom with another and like have real communion with one another. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That actually, um, I mean, remind, I don't know if you ever saw Adam Curtis's uh, film hypernormalization. Um, it, it, it opens with a critique of uh, kind of the punk scene of the seventies. It kind of cr criticizes Patty Smith a little bit for just sort of thinking that the dirt of New York in the seventies was cool in and of itself. Right. And not like not seeing it as a problem, but it actually is just like as a form of aesthetic beauty. And there's just sort of a, a resignation to the present then. And I think that's kind of what it's at the heart of, of Fisher's whole project there was to sort of look beyond the present and not see it as natural or, uh, or unavoidable, but to sort of try to imagine a better way to, to, uh, to organize society. Right. And so, uh, and I think it, the imagination is the the term that I would sort of go to with my students. Even that's what education is. I try to tell them, I mean, you have to imagine a better version of yourself or you're not going to learn, you know, no point in learning anything. Right. And so, um, and, and so I think, yeah, where Peterson goes wrong is that he sort of has this predestined end of, hierarchy and, and, and social control as the end of that new, that imaginative experience. But, um, where a leftist can go right is to sort of imagine utopia and not, um, and not let the, the present get in the way of the future. Um, and so. absolutely. And, you know, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not advocating for like a political utopianism necessarily, uh, or at all, you know, I, I try to stay grounded in that way, but when it comes to art and yeah, the imagination, like you, yeah, you have to push the, the limits. That's what was that noise? What was what? Oh, never mind. I heard nothing. I heard a weird noise. Um, <laughs> yeah, you have to you have to push the limits. It was uh, in your imagination. So that utopian oh. <laughs> thinking. Yeah, maybe it was. Oh. Um, um, so Adam, this was so awesome. I really enjoyed talking to you. Um, and I really enjoyed looking at your art and reading your stuff and listening to your music. Uh, and I can't encourage my listeners enough to go check out the links that were provided, but do you want to talk a little bit about, you know, where people can find you, even if they live in like Florida, they might come visit you in a performance somewhere. Like where are all the places that you, uh, present your work and where can they find you? Yeah. Um, so I am most active on Instagram and that is you, my handle is the at art dot O dot dirt. That's a R T period O period D I R T. Um, on Facebook is basically a copy of my Instagram, but if you use Facebook more, you can follow me on there and that's, uh, you can get it from the at art.odirt or you can just type in dirt son of earth. I sell my 
merchandise or whatever, my artwork that's been made into t-shirts or stickers, um, dresses, laptop cases, etc. You can find that at my Redbubble, which is accessible through my Instagram. It's the top link. Or you can go to redbubble.com, R-E-D-B-U-B-B-L-E.com slash people slash art of dirt, A-R-T-O-F-D-I-R-T. Um, and then, oh, and I actually just made a Patreon. Um, that's something I started, um, and I'm looking forward to doing that. I haven't made any posts on it yet. I just launched it. Um, I'll be probably putting some posts on there today. And that is art underscore zero underscore D-I-R-T, dirt. Um, or you can just search Dirt Son of Earth on there. Um, that's that's the name I've been putting all my projects under lately. I used to name all of my stuff different things if I was doing poetry or painting or music stuff. Um, uh, now I just call it all Dirt Son of Earth. So if you search that, you're going to be able to find it. Um, it's a relatively unique name. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't... I, I'm going to start posting poetry on my Patreon. Um, in the past, I just kind of shared poetry here and there. I posted on Instagram sometimes. It's not a good media, uh, site for poetry, but I still post it there. Uh, I used to just make like zines or chat books um, when I was in the DIY culture a lot and pass out poetry books like that. Uh, but I, I'm going to start doing that more. I've been writing more. I didn't write for a couple of years. And then the last two years or so, I've been writing a lot more uh, strange stuff, which I find poetry fun. I, I wrote like wannabe song lyrics uh, <laughs> back in the day. And then I got, and then I really liked the beat poets um, for a while. And I wrote, like tried to write beat poetry. And now I just write like this kind of abstract stuff that's, somewhere between beat and hip-hop inspired um but it's really fun it's to me it's a lot like just wordplay nice. uh and i think oh and i i just made a youtube channel as well which i haven't uploaded any videos my first video will probably be that jordan peterson video mm. um yeah and then if my patreon goes well i plan on expanding that jordan peterson song into an album um, and kind of flush out that thesis because once I started making it, uh, I, I originally I realized there's no way I can say everything I want to say here. <laughs> I have a whole album on my hands. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I want to do that too. Just so always try to be expanding. But Instagram is definitely the central location that I operate from for the time being. Well, and I'll put as many links as I can find uh, on the show notes for this show, too. And, and thank you again, Adam. Uh, Adam Ray Adkins, uh, Dirt Son of Earth. Uh, you might find his uh, work under that name. Um, I really appreciate you reaching out to the show. Um, I I think that my listeners know if they're a good fit for the show. You obviously were. And uh, anybody else who is out there listening who's doing something interesting that you want to kind of share with people, I really want to make the show open to you uh, to do so. This has um, been some of the most fun shows I've done in a long time, um, talking to folks like you. And so uh, I'd love to do a lot more of it. Please don't be shy. Contact us. We have a Facebook page. That's probably the easiest place to find us. But there's a Twitter account, too, and an email address. Uh, that you can find all that stuff at uh, sectarianreviewpodcast.com. So, um, Adam Ray Adkins, thank you. Um, hope you enjoy the beautiful weather in Florida as I suffer through the rain here in Pennsylvania. And so, <laughs> um, but uh, for anybody listening, thanks again for listening to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. For Adam Ray Adkins, I am Danny Anderson, uh, wishing you a great day. Mm-hmm.